This podcast and others are brought to you by everythingvoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every Amazon purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark our special link at AmazonEVC.com. That's AmazonEVC.com. Hello, welcome to the podcast. All right, we're going to look at some world news in this episode, find a few stories. Before we get to that, um, I don't think this is world news. This is probably U.S. news. But you're probably either fully aware or somewhat aware of what's been happening on Wall Street. Or rather, it hasn't even been happening on Wall Street. It's been happening on Main Street, digital Main Street, let's say. I'm going to read, I guess, this little thing that sort of explains what's happening with uh, GameStop stock and with Wall Street hedge funds and with Reddit because it's incredibly interesting, I think. And it's just one more thing for this brand new year that is just really pushing us in this certain direction of at least 2021 being another notable year for the record books or for for the history books. Let me let me read this thing that somebody wrote and that will explain what has happened. They write, "I know at least one of my followers doesn't quite understand what's happening in the stock market right now, and that's enough to motivate me to explain because this is somewhat of a turning point in world history." First, you need to understand what a short is in trading. A short is when you borrow a stock from a broker and sell it immediately at its current price. Then you hope the stock's price falls such that you can buy the stock back at a lower price and return the shares you borrow to your broker, but keeping the difference. Example, let's say I want a short XYZ, which has a current price of $10. I borrow one share and sell it immediately at $10. I have $10 now, but I owe my broker the one share I borrowed. Then let's say the price of XYZ drops to 7 I now decide to cover, which is buying back, my short position, and I buy one share at 7 and return the borrowed share to my broker. So instead of borrowing money, like you've probably done before, you're borrowing the share of stock. I made $10 when I sold and only had to pay 7 to buy it back. So my profit is a $3 difference. So you're, you're borrowing a share of stock. You're selling it away. So now you owe your broker the share of stock just like you would owe a creditor, you know, the, the loan, the, the money for the loan that you borrowed, right? But it's not, it's not $10 that you owe the broker. It's the share itself. Okay. So you bought the, you, you sold the share. You don't have the share, but you owe it. Okay. Just like you borrow money, you go and uh, buy a house. You don't have the money anymore, but you do have the house. So the share was sold for $10. And now, you're hoping that the, the 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 price of the share for that company falls below $10 so that you can buy a share again. So now you have $10, you now buy the share back for 7 and then you re- 
then you pay back your broker the share. So you've made $3. That's what shorting is. But now let's say that instead of the XYZ price dropping to $7, it goes up to 15 I still need to return the one borrowed share to my broker, except now it's going to cost me a lot more to buy it back. If I buy it back at $15 so I can return the, the borrowed share, my loss will be the $5 difference between selling at 10 and rebuying at 15 Since the price can rise indefinitely, my potential losses as a short seller are unlimited. At some point, I have to buy it back to return the shares I borrowed. The more the price rises, the bigger my losses. So the equivalent is you, um, I, I, I guess it would be you borrow money to buy a house. And then instead of the house going up in value, it falls in value. And now later on, if you want to sell the house, but your mortgage, what you owe the bank is higher, then you're going to have a capital loss. So that's, that's the equivalent, I guess that regular people would probably encounter. Or like with your automobile, right? You borrow money, you buy a car, and it immediately depreciates. If you sell that car, you'll probably have to make up the difference with what you borrowed, right? You borrowed 12, now it's worth eight. A year later, you still owe 10 and a half. You sell the car for eight, you've got to pay back 10 and a half, right? You've got a one and a half or a $1,500 loss. So these these hedge funds take these positions. A lot of people probably take these positions. They think that a falling stock that has a really strong history of falling is going to fall further, right? So they borrow shares, they sell it for the current price, they wait for it to fall, and then they buy the stock back and re- and and re- return what they borrowed to their broker and they've made their profit. Okay, per- personally I don't see anything wrong with this. It's fine. It's just buying and trading, buying and selling. Let me, con- let me continue. Now for GameStop. A few weeks ago, a Redditor on the Wall Street Bets subreddit noticed that a hedge fund had taken a massive amount of short trades against GameStop. They convinced everyone in the thread to join forces and buy as much GameStop, GameStop stock as possible. This made the price rise, and the hedge fund start position started to lose billions. Their losses even surpassed the $13.1 billion that the hedge fund was worth. Eventually, the hedge fund had to close their sort positions and buy all the GameStop, GameStop stock back at much, much higher prices, sending the price even higher still. This is called a short squeeze. Now, the hedge fund is declaring bankruptcy, and the Reddit thread is combing through other hedge funds with massive short exposure so they can short squeeze them into bankruptcy as well. All of Wall Street is saying that the public joining together in this fashion should be illegal, but really, they just lost at their own game to the masses. Okay, I, I definitely, based on everything I understand, and maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think so. I definitely don't think that this should be illegal. Okay, if people want to get together and buy something or get together and not buy something, right, which would be the uh, a boycott, which would be the opposite of this, or get together and sell, right? There's nothing aggressive about that, right? That's not fraudulent. It's not stealing. It's not murder. It's not kidnapping. It's not aggression. Ergo, it should not be illegal. Now, what hedge funds do with this sort of thing and probably some other types of things, I I don't think should be illegal either. Okay, I think they all serve a purpose and that purpose is not only to get rich, right? These hedge funds take an incredible amount of risk when they do stuff like this. And the, the reason they do it is because of the potential for an incredibly high reward, right? That's what, that's what all entrepreneurs do. 
That's what entrepreneurism is. That's what investing is. So I don't have anything, I don't have any, I don't have any problems with that. What I have a problem with <laughs> is when, well, I don't know if I have a problem with that either. So, so let me say this. This sort of thing probably wouldn't have been possible a few years ago. Most of this was done through this app called Robinhood. Robinhood is this app that apparently anybody can get on, put some money in, and just buy and sell stocks. It's kind of a, a digital virtual broker that covers most fees or something like that and makes it really easy for average Joes to get in and play with the stock market. So that's what happened here. A bunch of average Joes got in their Robinhood apps and started buying GameStop stock. And now I understand that probably because so many people are bleeding so badly and there's potential for more massive bleeding of these hedge funds and, and possibly other types of funds from this type of uh, coordinated uh, activity that some for some reason Robinhood, and I don't think GameStop was the only stock, I think AMC was another stock that people were, were doing this with. And there may have been some others. I think they were trying to find, um, they were trying to find more stocks to go after. But Robinhood has paused, has pretty much removed the GameStop and I think AMC and and whatever uh, stock buying and selling from their service, right? So they they for, as far as Robinhood app is concerned, they they cut it off. Um, they're probably I think a couple of other brokers cut it off. I think there are some brokers like Fidelity where you can go and and continue. That's just a opening an account with Fidelity and, and trading with them is not quite as quick and easy and, and, and as convenient and simple as it was with the Robinhood app. So that, that particular party may be over. But, but why, why is Robinhood doing this? Well, I think Robinhood is owned by some larger company and there's probably connections to hedge funds. And so they're making the business decision to, to not participate in this which I think is fine. I don't think I don't think government can force Robinhood to put certain stocks through their service, but this is a risk. This is an entrepreneurial risk that Robinhood is taking by demonstrating to everybody that if they don't like the profits you're making, if they don't like the type of trading you're engaged in that's not illegal, that they could shut it off at any moment. Okay? It's the same thing with Amazon shutting down Parler. It's the same thing with YouTube deplatforming somebody. Okay, they have every right to deplatform uh, a YouTube channel, to deplatform uh, a social media company, uh, Amazon. They have every right to deplatform a stock. Okay, we're no longer going to platform that stock on our service. Nobody should be forced to platform anybody or anything. That's ridiculous. But when they do these things, when they de-platform, okay, that's, that's useful information. Okay, we need to take that information. We need to better understand how these companies operate and the types of things they're willing to do and the reasons they do them and then plan our futures accordingly. Okay, if we know that YouTube's going to de-platform you for seemingly arbitrary reasons and without much by way of explanation, then you better be more careful about using YouTube and depending on YouTube for your business, you probably should make sure that if you are uh, releasing content and building a YouTube channel, you should probably be mirroring that on BitChute and Rumble and Library and Odyssey and every other possible service. 
right? Don't just use one platform. You're going to have to diversify yourself. That's the message here. And the message is also, look, Robinhood made trading really simple, really easy. A couple of years ago, I even opened a thing and looked at it and bought some stuff. It was super easy. And that was, I think, I think that was a, a, a trigger to other companies to build apps that made this sort of thing easy, right? It was, it was competition for convenience. So maybe there are other apps that make it easy. Maybe, maybe opening a Fidelity account or whatever, JP Morgan, I, I don't know, uh, is easier than it used to be. Great. Diversify. Get accounts on all of these services. And then when, when you and your, your friends, or your community, wherever you set up shop, because I believe Reddit's taken down this subreddit and they're just going to move somewhere else. It had 2 million people in there. Okay, you rally 2 million people to start buying a stock, that's going to have an effect. And now we know that, right? The world knows that. People know that. And Wall Street knows that. So maybe they'll be a little bit more careful. This is just information that will help us plan our futures better. That's all that needs to happen here. You have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying there needs to be an investigation into Robinhood and why they deplatformed GameStop. No, there doesn't. It doesn't matter why they did it. They have every right to do it. They don't have to platform anybody or anything. Let's all see what happened and then move forward. Okay, so that's that's what's going on there. If you were wondering, I I find it fascinating. I think I think you know, I don't, I don't have any sympathies for hedge fund billionaires losing billions. Okay, welcome to the, to the rest of us. <laughs> a lot of people lost a lot of money in 2020. And the people that made a lot of money were the people that usually make a lot of money, right? A lot of these companies posted record profits for 2020. So I don't, I don't have any sympathy for, for billionaires and millionaires. I think they're useful. They're fine. But they're not always our, they're not always our friend. Okay, here's here's a news story out of Canada. It says Ontario barbershop reopens despite provincial lockdown using a loophole. <laughs> An Ontario barbershop has reopened during the lockdown using a loophole that the owner claims allows them to operate legally. Uh, she's cutting hair again after they said they revamped their salon to become a production and film studio. <laughs> owner Alicia Herder uh, set up cameras, lights, and microphones in her shop and said people who come in for haircuts are now auditioning for part in a future TV show or podcast. <laughs> Under Ontario's uh, lockdown laws, which came into effect on December 26th, film and television productions are allowed to continue operating. We're not offering haircut appointments. We're offering full auditions. <laughs> According to their website, clients can book adult auditions or child auditions. The booking details say the guests will receive a complete haircut, neck shave, blow dry, and style, all while candidly discussing life, its ups and downs, and all in between. Auditions will, will be recorded for intent to later use in a podcast and or documentary format. Uh, Herder said when guests arrive for their appointment, they must sign a talent release form and undergo a COVID-19 screening test. <laughs> They're also required to wash their hands. She said that clients are not required to wear masks while receiving the haircut because the government rules say performers are exempt. <laughs> uh, she said, I'm a single mom. I'm not about to move into low-income property with my son. As a business owner and a mother, I had to make my own call. I'm not a criminal. Uh, I can't believe this shit's still even going on. That's brilliant, though. That is brilliant. 
and I'm glad it's being reported, right? I'm glad it's being reported, and I hope other salons and barbershops recognize this and say, all right, let's stick some cameras and some lights and get some talent release forms that really will it just amount to nothing, and let's start doing business again. Doesn't Canada know that Joe Biden was elected and this is it's time to put this all behind us? Come on, Canada. Get with the program. Uh, Herder said that while her business has not been shut down, city officials have told her she could soon face charges. Fucking hate that word. Charges. So draconian. It's so aggressive. Charges. I will continue to operate, she said. I will take the fines. I'll fight them. I am a movie television studio. I have all the documents. I have all the evidence. And your lockdown exempts us. So just just try to sue me. <laughs> Hopefully she demands surety bonds so that they have to pay when they lose. All right, let's let's find some more. Okay, this is out of Reuters. Scottish nationalists lay groundwork for second independence referendum. The Scottish National Party published a roadmap to referendum on Saturday, laying out plans for another vote on Scottish independence, just as the United Kingdom grapples with COVID-19 and the impact of Brexit. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who would have to agree to a new referendum, argues that there is no need for a new vote after independence was rejected by Scottish voters in 2014. But the Scottish party has said that if it wins a parliamentary majority at elections scheduled for May 6, it will pass its own bill so that a referendum can take place once the pandemic is over. It says that the UK government will either have to agree to it or take legal action to dispute the legal basis of the referendum. Such a legal challenge would be vigorously opposed by the uh, Scottish National Party, Scottish government, said the document. And polls show that the Scottish nationalists are on course to win a record majority. Scots voted 55 to 45 against independence in a referendum in 2014, but Brexit and the British government's handling of the COVID-19 crisis have bolstered support for the Scottish National Party, with most, most polls showing a majority now favor breaking away. A poll published on the Times website on Saturday showed another potential threat to the future of the UK, with 51% of Northern Irish voters saying they favored a referendum about their future within the next five years, compared to 44% who oppose. Support for a united Ireland stands at 42% versus 47% who object to Northern Ireland leaving the UK. It is it is rich for Boris Johnson or for anybody in Britain who just uh, seceded from the European Union to have any issues or any problems with Scotland seceding from the United Kingdom, right? That's That's kind of rich. This this is one of those areas that's really kind of it's a it's difficult for a voluntarist to talk about and to support, right? Because secession is political action and voluntarists typically oppose political action and they oppose uh, the political process and they oppose uh you know political institutions. But what what happens when one state, okay? One government and its people, however we want to define that, secedes from another. Well, a couple things happen. The people who support it, they lose the political, their political masters that they don't want. And the people who oppose it lose the political masters that they do want. So secession is sort of a, you support half of it, but you don't support the other half. Now, most of these people are not voluntarists. Most of these people, 
for whatever reason, you know, usually as a result of coercion and manipulation, support their political institutions. Um, you know, it's, it's a prisoner's dilemma for everybody, right? But when it, you know, when, when something like this is put before them, should we stay with this political association or should we divorce it? You know, in some sense, however these political things are decided, there are these political rights that these people have to exercise, right? They're playing the game. Okay. So you win by the game, you lose by the game. If you don't like the game, then do what the voluntarists do and get out and criticize it never ending. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's in most cases doesn't, doesn't really do anything, right? People would say that, that, that's, that doesn't actually affect change. You've got to play the game. Maybe I've seen people play the game and have, and have success with that. And I've seen a lot of other people play the game and not have any success. So that's kind of a, that's not a certainty either, but secession is, it's interesting because it is, it's, it's, it's forcing divorce on people who don't want the divorce, right? Let's say, let's say Texas here in the U.S. Texas votes 51% and based on their own internal rules, all they need is 51%. This, this is just a hypothetical. I don't know what the case is. All they need is 51% to start secession, secessionary procedures from the United States. So they get 51%. That means 49% are being forced out of the U.S. who don't want to not be U.S. citizens anymore, who don't want to not be under the thumb of the U.S. federal government for whatever reason. Maybe they prefer their chances with the U.S. Fed than with the Texas Republican state government, whatever. Maybe they're – Texas is mostly a red state, but there's probably Democrats, and maybe they like the feds more than they like their state governments. And they don't want to not be – Americans anymore. And this sort of process is is forcing them to lose that, at least until they move back, move out of Texas. And it's kind of interesting too, because right, what what do statists in general say? They say if you don't like your government, you can move. Okay, just move. And pragmatically, yeah, that's that's what we can do. If you don't like, you know, the environment, which includes the the legal and the political aspects you can move so maybe that's all that's all we can offer these people right if you don't like the secession if you don't like that you're no longer an american first now you're a texan first texas is now its own country it's not part of the united states well guess what you can move <laughs> maybe maybe america will say nope sorry there's a quota now for you moving to America and it's a thousand people a year and the quota has been filled. You've got to get in line like Mexicans or like other people <laughs> or the feds that say, look, we consider you um, American citizens. You're not currently living in America. You're living in a foreign country, but you're still an American citizen. We still expect you to pay us taxes <laughs> um, and you're welcome to move back anytime. Just like, just like Americans who move to other countries temporarily move back and they don't have to wait in line. Right. My guess is that's what would happen. My guess is that if a state seceded from the union, um, the American, the U.S. federal government would still consider all those people to be U.S. citizens and would still try to get taxes from them and whatever and would allow them to move back into the country out from Texas or out from Utah or whatever state seceded and continue on being Americans without any interruption. That would be my guess. 
But I would also hope that there would be some kind of process for um, these people to renounce. And, and there already is a way for you to renounce your citizenship, right? And maybe the Texas, Texas Republic National Government, whatever they call themselves, would have some sort of process to streamline that. Uh, children born in Texas, if, again, if, you know, just following our example, if this was the state that seceded, children born in Texas probably, you know, at least eventually, probably wouldn't be considered American citizens because it's not American, uh, other than those born to American citizens, uh, because it's not American soil anymore, presumably. Or maybe the U.S. federal government would continue to recognize everybody in Texas as a citizen and, and continue to try to tax them and so on and so forth. And at some point, Texas is going to have to stand up to that and tell their people, you know, you're welcome to pay taxes to these people if you want, but we will protect you if you don't. It's interesting, right? It's interesting to think about, right? Britain with Brexit is currently going through this sort of thing, but their their ties to the EU were not as we're not as solid, we're not as tight, we're not as many as a U.S. state's ties are to the U.S. And we've already seen what happens when U.S. states try to secede. Would that happen again if a state like Texas said, we're out of here? Would the rest of the states get together and, and send all their soldiers to violently oppose that? Probably. War is very profitable, right? We're waging war all over the world. Why not here at home? Right? Isn't there some new domestic terrorism stuff that's happening? And that's just, again, I mean, of course, the war on drugs, that is war at home. The U.S. has always been at war, and it will continue to be at war because war is so profitable for it and for its cronies. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, nobody should be forced into a political association they don't agree with. Secession is every person and property owner's right, in my opinion. And if they do it collectively, fine. And if people, if that divorce is being forced on people who don't want it, live by the sword, die by the sword, right? You can't always move, right? Isn't that what they say? You can always move if you don't like it. All right. I kind of went long on these articles. We talked about the GameStop stuff, the short selling, the short squeezing. We looked at this barber shop in Ontario. Who is, now, who is now a movie studio <laughs> performing auditions, which includes a haircut and a shave. <laughs> and then we talked about secession. I guess the Scottish National Party is probably for the foreseeable future going to continue to push for that. And maybe one day they'll get it. Maybe one day Northern Ireland will get it. Let a thousand nations bloom, as the saying goes. Okay, thank you so much. Please remember, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, and don't ask permission. And have a great day. Please send your comments or questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Voluntarist Voices, a podcast featuring lectures, interviews, and audio essays by intellectual giants, past and present. You can rate and review this podcast in your podcast app. And please share it with everyone you know. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. voluntary.